Hello, and welcome to episode 144 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. A warm welcome to Autumn L. and Annalise S. to the Modern Manager community. And if you are listening to the show for the first time, a warm welcome to you too. This is the last time you'll hear me say this since the course starts this week on Thursday, March 11th. So listen up. The Modern Manager's Guide to Managing My Personality is the program to help you unlock the secrets to motivating, communicating, and connecting with your team members. I've spoken to so many managers over the years who've said things like, I just don't understand why this person waits until the last second to ask me to review something. Or, it is so frustrating that this person talks so much in our meetings, I wish she would just make space for other people to jump in. Or, he is so into the details that sometimes it really just slows us down and I wish he would just keep things moving. If you are struggling to understand your team members or find yourself getting frustrated by them or having frictions in your interactions, this is the course for you. Managing by personality is all about learning how to spot preferences so that you can manage in ways that naturally work for each of your colleagues. Instead of trying to swim upstream, you get to move with the current. To learn more and register, go to themodernmanager.com slash courses slash personality. But do it quick because registration closes at midnight on March 10th. Now, today's guest is Timothy Yen. Tim is a psychologist with a doctorate in clinical psychology and emphasis in executive consultation. He is the author of the book, Choose Better, the Optimal Decision-Making Framework. He practices in San Francisco Bay Area and leads conferences and retreats around the globe. Between his years in private practice and another eight years as a mental health staff sergeant in the U.S. Army, he's empowered hundreds of individuals, families, and organizations and teams to develop authentic relationships and grow into their best selves. Timothy and I talk about how to make optimal decisions. We get into why we make poor decisions in the first place, and worse, why are we indecisive? and then how to apply Tim's framework to help you and your team members make better decisions every time. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Timothy, it is such a pleasure to have you today. I am looking forward to our conversation about decision-making because this is something that I personally could probably, not probably, I could definitely get a lot better at because as I was reading your book, there were a couple of things I noticed like, oh yeah, I I do that a lot. Uh, I probably shouldn't. So I'm happy that I'm going to learn something new and I hope my audience will as well. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me on your show. All right. So let's start with why we make bad decisions or what does it look like when we are making poor decisions to begin with? So there's a lot of things that we are unaware of what we call run in the background. They're like unconscious barriers that keep us from making good decisions. And some of the things that I'll outline in the book is things such as like fear of judgment or just being out of alignment with what it is that you truly value, what, what's important to you. It is missing certain key pieces of information before making that decision. Sometimes it is being overly emotional and making a emotional decision rather than a thought out true decision, what you actually want to do. So it's a kind of a myriad of things. There's definitely some social psychology type stuff in terms of what 
humanity tends to fall in the pit, so to speak. Uh, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why people make poor decisions. Well, and I, I want to pick up one of the things in the book that really like struck me was part of making poor decisions is being indecisive and kind of delaying the decision over and over. And I am guilty of that one. Yes. Indecision is definitely one of those, what I call not a victimless crime, because we think that by delaying the choice, somehow we are absolved of the consequences. We can kind of leave it for later, but indecision is a choice. It's a choice not to act. Well, and I feel like for myself, that kind of pushing off of the decision and sometimes in in a way to counteract my husband, who is the like instant decision maker, which ha- comes with its own problems, right? Like you, you kind of talked yes. about, you know, what happens when we make a decision on the spot before we've really had a chance to think it through. And those are the two uh, quote unquote audiences of my book, indecisive people and people who make regrettable choices. Those are, that's my audience that I'm trying to reach. Well, perfect. You've got me and my husband right here. And we are we are the, <laughs> the archetype of those two people. And I, in some ways, right, this kind of gets into like how you manage decision-making as a team, right? That it's almost like I've taken on more of this role of being indecisive to help counteract his urgency to make decisions. And I imagine that when you're trying to make a group decision, although that's not really the topic of your book, that there are, are elements that could come into play here really naturally around how do we make decisions together? So true. There is definitely this yin-yang phenomenon where people do unconsciously counterbalance how other teammates or members respond. And so we do overcompensate or undercompensate just to have this type of balance or homeostasis, which may be to the team's advantage, but sometimes to its disadvantage. So let's talk through this framework that you outlined, because I think this will help give us a good starting point to kind of talk through some of the different ways that we can approach decision-making to be more effective. Sure. So the framework is essentially a protocol of sorts before you make an important decision. The, The key is to go through these four parts of the framework, which usually in that process, you're going to come up with the optimal decision for that situation. And I I like to call it the four pillars. So I'll go through each pillar. Pillar number one is what are my emotions trying to tell me? So the first thing that hits you in any given situation, especially the important ones, is you're going to feel a certain way. The bigger the issue, the more important the issue, the more intensely you're going to feel. And oftentimes people treat emotions as a nuisance. It's annoying. It's it derails them. But I try to make the argument that emotions are your friends. It, it is the little engine light on the dashboard of your car. It, it's trying to tell you something, even if you may not like what it's trying to tell you. And so the first question is, what is my emotion telling me? And by going through that process, you get to uncover what's at stake, what is really getting you to feel a certain way, what's important about the situation. So pillar number one is identifying the feelings and why you feel that way. Pillar number two is values of self, which is what is important and meaningful to me about this situation? What kind of outcomes would you like to see? Uh, Those sort of things. And then pillar number three is values of others, because we often 
do not live in a vacuum, especially if you're a manager, you work with people. That, that is your bread and butter. So it's important to know what is valuable, what is important to the members on your team as well when you consider a decision. And then lastly, pillar number four is reality factors. So there are things that are just true, regardless of your opinion, regardless of how you feel about it, those are just reality factors in the world we live in. The analogy I always use is gravity. Uh, you don't have to believe in gravity. You don't have to like gravity. But if you step off a cliff, you're going to know gravity experientially because it'll pull you to the ground. So there are certain things that are just true about our society, about culture that we want to consider when we make a decision. So once we collect all those data points, then we arrive at some options. Great options, not so good options, just laying out what are my options available to me. And through that process, checking back into your values one more time, usually we can arrive at the best decision for us in that situation. So that's the framework. So I love this framework. I love that you can kind of walk through these different modes of thinking to kind of arrive at some criteria almost. But I want to take a step back for a second because you use the word of making the best decision or at one point the optimal decision. I'm wondering if you have a definition or a way that you think about what the best decision is. The best aspirational, ideal best decision is the one that reflects who you are as a person, what matters to you, and creates a win-win scenario where it also meets the needs of the people that are involved in the best of ways, so to speak. But I would say those are probably the, the main markers is that it's, it doesn't betray who you are as a person. You're able to make this decision with, with pride, with confidence, and it creates a win for the people involved as well. That's probably an optimal decision. Ooh, I like that definition. And I, I like that it doesn't say like what feels the best, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like this idea of having integrity and being able to kind of own the decision and have it be in alignment with who you are. But sometimes, especially as managers, we have to make really tough decisions that don't always feel so good to make. Yes. And right, if we only go on, it's best because we like feel good about it. I think we're really doing ourselves a disservice. Absolutely. To be honest, that's probably why managers tend to make a little bit more because there are really challenging what seem like lose-lose propositions and managers are put in that position to lead the team and, and create the best kind of scenario for everyone. It's, it's tough. It's tough to be a manager, a, a good one, especially. Yeah. Um, are there any stories or examples that you can share of people who have you know, gone through this process and worked through this framework and figured out what that optimal decision is for them? I actually tested out the framework with a few of my clients and we were able to come to a quote unquote optimal decision just through talking it through. I'll give you two examples. <laughs> one is with my wife and then one is with uh, a client of mine. So the, the wife one is really simple given that we're in a pandemic and it is frowned upon for uh, interacting and gatherings and this and that for a good reason. We were trying to decide on a free weekend whether or not to go explore a city, which is something we enjoy doing, and hit up a farmer's market in particular. 
And my wife was just going back and forth. It's in the morning. She's going back and forth. She wants to do it because it's, it's an opportunity that we don't often have. But then the weather wasn't very good. So then she wasn't really sure about that. And this kind of went on for a good 30, 40 minutes while I'm getting dressed, getting ready. And so I asked her, hey, would you like to test out this framework and see if we can come to the best decision? And she's like, yeah, sure. Let's give it a shot. So we went with the very first pillar. I was like, hey, what feelings are coming up for you right now? And she was like, well, I'm feeling confused. I'm feeling anxious and frustrated. Yeah, those feelings. And so we went through each of those feelings. I was like, all right, tell me a little bit about the confusion. Why do you feel confused? And she would say something like, well, because I know what I would like to do is go to the farmer's market, but I have all these reasons for why I probably shouldn't. And that's why I'm torn. I was like, all right, confusion. Okay, we got that one. Why are you feeling frustrated? So, well, I'm frustrated because I feel like I deserve to have a experience at the farmer's market, but there's a part of me that feels like I'm a bad citizen if I go out there and, and mingle with people. And I think she also said sad as well. She felt a little bit sad because it could be a missed opportunity if she doesn't go and the weather's not very great. And for her, just going through that very first part, we didn't even get to the second pillar, just through the first part, having her talk that out, she realized, you know, I guess it's really not that important. I, I do want to go to the farmer's market, but the, the weather is just awful and cold and windy. Uh, we have a one-year-old son. He's definitely not going to like that. So if he's going to be miserable, then, well, we're all going to be miserable. So yeah, I think I'm just going to choose another weekend. So it was interesting because we didn't even need to go through all the four pillars and she was able to make a decision and felt good about it. And then that rattling of back and forthness, totally gone. Like she was confident that she was making the choice not to go. Well, I, I love this story for a couple of reasons. First, she like automatically tapped into the values of others that you talked about when she recognized the impact the decision was going to have on your son, right? So like her, mm -hmm. her natural instinct already went there. And I think that's probably true of a lot of us is when we're making a decision, part of what our emotional confusion that happens is because we're trying to weigh our needs and the needs of others. So super cool that she did that. And then second is that I love the way that you opened the conversation with her and using that as a way that we can open this conversation with our colleagues, that if they're struggling with something, that just starting by saying, you know, what are you feeling about this decision? You know, we don't have to like sit down with them and say like, hey, can I walk you through this whole big decision framework? Like we can start with something as simple, just like what's, what's, what do you, what's coming up for you in this decision? And that can lead into a conversation where we can kind of explore all of these other elements without having it be a, a big deal. That's great that you brought that up. You're absolutely right. In that conversation of how do you feel about this or what feelings are coming up for you because of this situation or dilemma, a lot of the values of self, others, reality factors like the weather, all those things naturally came up in the conversation without even having to go through all the pillars. In this particular case, it wasn't this make or break kind of dilemma, but it's cool to see that even starting that conversation about how one feels can lead to other important 
elements of decision-making. Yeah, exactly. And I think the other thing that you did, which is like a great role modeling for us as managers is to ask the questions, but not give our opinion, right? Like you really let her make the decision there of what felt right. You didn't weigh in with like, yeah, the weather really is crappy today. Like, I think we should go on a different day or yeah, I, you know, I'm imagining that like next week we're going to feel really bad if we didn't go because who knows what COVID is going to be like, we may not even be able to go next week. So we really should go now and take advantage of it. Like you didn't, you didn't layer yours on. You just asked her the questions and allowed her to find her own conclusion and that you you did that in a way that really explored, right? Like, why are you feeling this specific emotion? Not just what emotions are you feeling, but mm-hmm. why that emotion? And I don't think we take the time to, well, one, I know in a workplace, we don't often explore emotions at all, which is a whole other issue. But even when we do, it's like, well, what are you feeling? I'm feeling frustrated. Okay, great. You're feeling frustrated. Now what's next? Like, move on. And actually <laughs> sitting with it for a second and saying, why are you feeling frustrated? Just that that conversation can be so fruitful and it doesn't have to be awkward or frustrating and we don't have to like judge the person or weigh in on it. We can just let them talk. And I think that's so cool. So cool. Quick disclaimer though, it is easy for me to not weigh in because this particular situation, I didn't feel strongly one way or the other. I was totally cool staying home. I was totally cool about going out. Now for managers that may be challenging because you may feel strongly about a situation and you do have your own two cents, but you're absolutely right. Creating the space for your downline, your employee, your colleague to think through honestly what it is that they feel and think about it allows you to understand where they're coming from before you weigh in on what you think and feel about it. So I think it's more about taking turns and not necessarily, hey, you're a manager, you shouldn't say how you think or feel. It shouldn't affect what your your colleagues or employees think. It's about making room for both of you to share openly about how you think and feel. I'm really glad that you said that. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on the right process for that. Meaning, you know, if this was an issue that you care deeply about, right, with your wife, or if I, as a manager, I'm caring about a decision that's being made by my colleague or my direct report, do we take turns exploring our emotions and then we take turns going through values of self? Or do we open the conversation with one person kind of sharing everything on their mind and then the other person kind of responding and enhancing and adding to with their layers? Well, I think it depends. It, it depends on the kind of relationship you have with that individual. The way that I talk to my wife may not be the same as I talk to a friend or an employee, right? So it, it depends. But let's talk about for your listeners as managers, that will probably be uh, more applicable. The reality is there is a power differential between you as a manager and the people that work under you, so to speak. Both equally valuable, like as people, everyone is, is equally valuable, but there's different roles. And therefore, there's diff- different kind of a power differential, like as I explained. So the way that we talk about sorting out how you feel and think will look different as a manager. And, and what I would probably say is creating that space to let that individual talk out their feelings and, and kind of get to the heart of what the holdup is or what, what the struggle may be will help you as a manager understand how to respond accordingly. Now, managers, what's really tough 
about managers, in my opinion, is sometimes they are sandwiched between their bosses and then and meeting the needs of their regional bosses or directors or execs. And then there's people that they work that work under them and wanting to leave the make sure that they're feeling good and valued. And sometimes those goals don't align. What the company's bottom line is and what the workers want may not be the same. And so the manager really has to be artful, tactful in how they talk about these things because we want to validate how our downline, the, the people we were, that are working under us feel and think about this situation or this dilemma. And at the same time, there's certain things that still need to get done. That would be the reality factors. There's, there's certain things that the executives want and it's the manager's job to make sure that it happens. So more, more likely than not, your, your colleagues or employees are going to be able to listen and care about what you as a manager have to say when they feel heard, understood, and cared for. So that becomes a win-win scenario because then you get to share, hey, it does make sense. And if I can within my power to make necessary modifications, I will on your behalf. And these are the mission objectives. We have to get these kind of things done. So let's find a way where we can collaborate and do that. That was so beautifully said. And I, I want to dig into this values of others piece a little bit because I think that's what you're talking about is how do we balance the needs of our people above us with the needs of our people below us with our own needs. I'm wondering if there are techniques or tools or tricks that you use for helping to understand what is important to the people who are kind of around you or the people who are going to be impacted by this decision or who have a stake in the decision. The most obvious answer is just ask. <laughs> Oftentimes people just don't ask. And there's a lot of assumptions going on about what you think your employees care about or want. But sometimes a simple straightforward question and asking what they value, what they care about, will give you the answer that you need. Now, granted, because there is a difference in power and role, there is the potential barrier for employees to not give you the straight answer because they don't want to look weak or incompetent or whatever, whatever it is that's keeping them from being honest. So it's really going to require the manager to communicate how much you care about your employee and that you really are looking for, out for their best interests. And being able to cultivate that, digging in a little bit deeper, asking more specific, nuanced questions, sometimes that's the process that needs to happen in order for you to get an honest answer about how someone feels and thinks and values in, in this particular situation. Well, that's making me think about one of the early chapters in your book where you talk about when people basically lie, <laughs> they say like, oh, I don't really care, but, or they tell you what they think you want to, what you want to hear. You say what you think they want to hear. And yes. that actually causes all kinds of problems. That's right. That, that kind of lack of integrity will eat at you on a individual level because you're just going to feel bad about what's happening and maybe even resentful for what's not happening because communication was not clear. And the other party isn't able to meet your needs or, or work with you because the other person doesn't know what you want 
or care about. So it's just a bunch of confusion when people live that way. Yeah, it it plays into how important it is to have psychological safety and the kind of relationships and and speaking honestly to your colleagues so that when you do ask them like what matters here for you that they're going to give you an honest response so that you can make a decision that is, takes that into consideration. And I think helping them understand that the reason you're asking is because you care enough to ask so that you can take it into consideration, not that you're going to judge them for their answer. I would say that separates the good managers from the great managers, those who really do care and take the extra time to understand and ask those questions. So I want to ask one last question before we have to wrap up, and that is how does different cultural experiences or different kind of cultural backgrounds impact how we make decisions? Cultural backgrounds essentially create a lens on what is normal. That's probably the best way I can say it. Culture can be loosely defined as this is just how we do things. <laughs> That's what culture is. This is just how we do things. And different individuals from different family backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, national backgrounds, there are certain norms that have been created to inform their worldview on how things either should be or how things are. And when you start having different people of different cultural backgrounds come together, then there's going to be a lot of different expectations for what things should be like. And that's a disaster for a team if it's not clearly communicated. So the team members are on the same page. So it's, it's just that notion, that word assume makes the ass out of you and me. I don't know if you've heard that before. You break oh, up the yeah. word. So, so we don't want to make these assumptions if we really don't have to. If we're able to be courageous enough to ask the questions like the values of others, uh, seeing what it is that they hope for or expect, that can clear up a lot of stuff. And if you want to take it one step deeper, you can ask, where do they get that notion? Where do they get that idea? And you get to know them as a person. And hopefully as a great manager, you're able to uh, integrate some of those uh, diverse ideas to create an even better, more optimal decision. Well, I'm so glad I asked this question because I feel like this is one of those places where we get into judging what is the best decision can get a little mucky because if we have different values, if we have different expectations around what is considered right or moral or appropriate, then it can lead to teams having frustrating conversations because you have differences of opinions. But when we understand that those opinions are rooted in something, right, it's not just me being annoying <laughs> of taking a different stance, but that they're actually rooted in our values. They're rooted in the culture or the, the background, the experience, the history, our education, whatever we've kind of come from that has cultivated that perspective in us, that now we can actually, as you said, like get to know your team members and understand who they are and why they think the way they do. And that can kind of take out some of the the sting of having those difficult decision-making processes as a group. I love it. One of my favorite quotes is, no one cares what you know until they know how much you care. And that's just the bottom line. When people know that you care and you want their, you have their best interests in mind, people will gladly follow you to the ends of the earth 
because they know that they're taken care of by a great leader. Beautiful. All right. So this is called the modern manager. So can you, Timothy, tell us about a great manager that you had and what made this person so fantastic to work for? I can come up with two. And I've been really fortunate to have these two managers. One's named Lisa. The other one is Adriana. They're my managers at Kaiser. So I, I work as a psychologist for this hospital called Kaiser Permanente. And they are both just incredible managers because they're super accessible, very on top of their stuff. And I just have this confidence that they, they have a vision. They, they, they know the agenda, they know where they're leading, but they still care enough to, to meet with me individually, ask me personal questions to make sure that I'm doing well. And uh, even if they give me an answer that maybe I won't like, they, they take the time to give the rationale and, and open it up for further discussion if I have more questions. And I just really trust them. I always want to give the honest answer because I know that it's not going to be turned around and used against me in some sort of way. So yeah, like I said, just been really fortunate to have both of my managers be just incredible people. You're very, very lucky to have, to have both of them. And where can people learn more about you and keep up with your work? So everything's going to be linked to my professional website, which is www.timyen.com. And I just recently started an Instagram page called Choose Better Consulting, which will take little tidbits of my book. And I take the different quotes from the book and expand on it further, wanting to give more value to help people make better decisions. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I definitely learned a lot and I am looking forward to applying this in my professional life and in my, my personal life. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Tim has generously provided his optimal decision-making checklist to members of the Modern Manager community. This checklist helps you track all the important information you need before making a decision using Tim's framework. To get this checklist, become a member at themodernmanager.com slash join. Plus, members get 20% off that Managing My Personality course that starts this week. All the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player, and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.